0: Welcome to Bestek, the public procurement podcast. Today we're discussing transfer of competencies and books we wish we wrote. Welcome to Bestek, the public procurement podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Willem Janssen and Dr. Marta Andorf discuss public procurement law issues, their love of food and academic life. In each episode, Willem, Marta, and their guests search for answers to intriguing public procurement questions. This is Besteck. Let's dish up public procurement law. Hello, Willem. <laughs>
1: I think what's funny is that whenever we start talking again and we start this hello, we always start to laugh. It's a good start to the podcast, I suppose.
0: It's it's, it's always very awkward how to start, right? (laughs)
1: Exactly. So they call it like a a clean start, right? There's no long introduction about what we're going to do, but uh, maybe you can enlighten us.
0: Just get into it. Yeah, absolutely. Today we wanted to continue a little bit um, from our previous episode. Uh, Where we already indicated that there is an interesting conversation about transfer of compet- competences and um, responsibilities uh, when it comes to Article uh, 1.6 of the directive, and um, the starting, of course, uh, of, of our of our discussion needs to be this article, uh, which lays down the concept. And what the concept points out is that, and I'm I'm quoting here, agreements, decisions, uh, or other instruments that organize the transfer of powers and responsibilities for the performance of public tasks between contracting authorities or grouping of contracting authorities and do not provide for remuneration, that's to be underlined and emphasized, uh, to be given for contractual performance are considered to be a matter of internal organization of the member state's concern, and as such are not affected in any way by the procurement directive." So this is where, where we find what the concept is, and we pretty much need to compare and look into the uh, differences between what an award of contract is versus this transfer of uh, responsibilities. With the main differentiation, as I as I mentioned earlier on, being this lack of of uh, remuneration, um, is that fair to say? Will?
1: Yeah, for sure. So to, to make it um, uh, practical, basically Article One uh, Sub Six refers to a situation where one public authority is obliged by national law to perform a certain task and is responsible for it. Say um, uh, the security. Um, tasks or uh, waste collection tasks, and that authority decides to transfer that responsibility and the competences that go with it, so say the competence to levy taxes or to set the boundaries of how that service is performed to another public authority, right? Now, where the issue arises is, and that's where you rightly pointed out, is very often these... um, are done by contractual agreements. There's somewhere noted down that this is being transferred to this other authority. And then the question arises, well, actually, is this not the same as a public contract? And I think that's the the level playing field that we're dealing with when we talk about uh, transfers of competences. And why is this important? Is because they fall outside of the remit of the directive, whereas uh, awards of contract clearly do. Um, and then you would need to resort to like Article 12 discussions that we talked about in previous uh, episodes. So here, this would allow you to, to stay away from the directive entirely,
0: right? So in other words, we continue to find a ways how to stay away from procurement law. Exactly. <laughs> yeah 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 the, so so up here i think that it's crucial when we're discussing this subject matter to to look on, on on some case law or you would look for for help in interpretation of this provision in in case law but but there is not much really right we really have ramondis and then we have this new finnish case that Again, we we started to discuss a little bit last time. So,
1: or I'm going to try again. The porn Kopunki case,
0: or- <laughs> yeah, the Finnish one. <laughs> Kirsi, we really ask for your forgiveness. Um, so, so to start with with Rebondis, which which in this area will be the fundamental case. There are there are really two issues here. Um, one of them being the operation autonomy versus the political involvement. Um, how how you how you see this?
1: Well, um, well, to start off, what I think is interesting, maybe more on a fundamental level, and then I'll get to Ramondis. Is this this link with Article Four, Section Two? Oh,
0: yeah, Sorry. Um,
1: <laughs> uh, no need. No need to say sorry for something that's in the treaty, right? No one. <laughs> for that, um, I, I think that's and that's also linked to what you're saying about Ramondis. Um, is that the court has clearly identified this as being part of the national identities of, of the member states. And it's basically say that stated that this is inherent in their fundamental structure, political and constitutional structures, including local and self uh, and regional self-government. So this is something where EU law should stay away. Basically, now this is a, a highly disputed article, right? Um, many. Uh, member states uh, with rule of law issues have used this article to uh, invoke the non-application of EU law. Right, mm. whereas in the context of public procurement, I think it's less disputed. Right, this case law less
0: controversial,
1: less controversial. Controversial for sure. So, in this case law from the 70s already international fruit company that that seemed to hint towards this. So, um, how we organise uh, the relations between public authorities in terms of competences and responsibilities, is none of the EU's business, basically. That's the uh-huh. idea. So that's referred to, and that's basically how the court starts its reasoning in Remondis uh, To briefly outline this case uh, from 2016, it's C51-15, probably one of the easiest ones to remember, I think, in terms of curia.eu, is in this case, the, the uh, region of Hanover and the city of Hanover are tasked with waste disposal or waste management services, or obligations, I should say, not services. And then this reorg occurs, which is it has a twofold step. Is one, there's a transfer of uh, competences to the region, right, from the city to the region. And then this Schweckverband, RH, is is established, kind of a a cooperation based on, um, or sorry, I should say a um, a legal entity under uh, public law in Germany. Um, and this, there's a this couple of conditions linked to this, uh, to, to the establishment of this. And I think that's important because that's where one of the issues that you just pointed out comes from. Um, there's a, a transfer of competences, uh, meaning that the Schweckverband has freedom to impose tariffs, to uh, engage in shareholdings and other entities, and, a, and there's some more of them. Um, then the region and the city are still in the General Assembly and can vote uh, based on the, uh, the transferred tasks to RH. There's a transfer of uh, material. So I'm imagining uh, vans to pick up waste to clean cities and shares in a, a company that also was part of the operations before. And last but not least, there's a compensation for the financial losses of RH. Right, so this is how the Schweckverband then assumes its responsibilities. The question then arises: Okay, well, is this 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 a transfer of competences, or is this an award of contract to RH by the city? uh, Sorry, by the region. Um, And uh, this is where I think uh, the court starts to provide more clarity when it comes to a transfer of competences. This is where we get to what you mentioned—the uh, uh, the, the, the difficulty of interpretation between operational autonomy and political involvement, it, and political involvement. Um, so basically, uh, what the court says is is that the authority that receives the uh, the competences need to needs to be primarily responsible for the task, right? So it needs to be some type of a genuine transfer. So it means that you cannot uh, be in a scenario where you have to give prior approval to certain decisions, right? So you need to really get it and also be able to uh, be obliged to perform that task, but also so that it can't be like a classic contractor uh, uh, or contracting authority relationship, right? Where one stipulates the terms and condition of the contract, whatever. But then what's difficult, um, and this is what you rightly pointed out, this political involvement, is that the court still said, well, it doesn't mean that there can't be any influence whatsoever. And then my question to you, Marta, would be...
0: <laughs> what, what, does type? Yeah. what does that mean? What right? that, yeah, yeah.
1: And I think the difficulty here is, is that uh, the um the, the 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 region and the city were still part of the general assembly and could vote. They were still politically involved um or at least this is how the court phrases it and then the court kind of says, well, this political involvement is allowed because where do disgruntled citizens go if the service is not provided properly
0: to mm, so the quality. Do-
1: yeah. So, where do they? If the quality is terrible, if, if that bag of garbage is not picked up, in the example of waste collection, where do they go? Do they go to the city council, which has legal, democratic, representative representation of these citizens, or do they go to this Schrexfbund or any type of uh, authority performing it for that matter? The court's reasoning seems to be: well, they would then go to the uh, to the, the the region or the city, right? Yeah. So that's why they still should be involved, right? This, these, these entities still have a responsibility towards their citizens to be able to, um, uh, yeah, I mean, make, make sure that this entity uh, provides sufficient uh, uh, services. This, this is difficult because, I mean, uh, a clear-cut option would have been better, right? To say you cannot be involved at all because if you want a full transfer of competences, then you can't be involved anymore. Uh, because otherwise it's so I mean I don't know how you would look at it but it's not a full transfer otherwise if you can still be involved and vote on the task that you transferred.
0: I think that up here you know it's also then we stepping away quite substantially I would say probably from maybe procurement law but we looking very much also in this uh, oh maybe not necessary I think I did also a fair bit of of, of work when, when it comes to this public-private partnerships on this question of when you actually can really get rid of your responsibility, um, really can outsource pretty much everything, right? And, and particularly when it comes to specific um, tasks such as health, such as security, as you mentioned, can you really outsource it to the extent that you you um, you would say, oh, I don't control it. I cannot take care of it. So someone else needs to. I contractually or in in context up here, we say about this transfer, I I, I gave it to someone else because I think that governments have a certain line of of tasks that they cannot really, um, they, they cannot really, um, Outsource to the extent that they don't hold responsibility for. They they always will um, because that's how we are structured, right? An interesting part about some of these elements, though, um, but that's uh, but that's within some of the procured contract is 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 also. Um, where the citizens go in context of services. And and I remember having a conversation with, with Kirsi who, who occurs in our conversation right now for the second time that in Finland apparently in, in context of specific services you... You can directly um, go for the company to whom the service has been outsourced to claim any shortcomings, liabilities, etc. So you don't go to the public authority here. So, so I think that the question about liability, responsibility, with all these elements, it's it's very relevant and, and interesting from you know lawyer's point of view.
1: Yeah, and in a way, I I mean it's it's very rare that I disagree with you, so I'm not going to disagree oh. with you now, but. I, in a way, I still don't really understand it in this scenario. So I fully mm. understand that in terms of contracting out, when you yeah. en- when you engage in that contractual relationship, of course you're not going to get rid of that because very often it's also not the way it's done, right? It's the first step is you get the obligation as a public authority. The second step is that it's co- the performance of that is contracted out, but it doesn't yeah. mean that you're not obliged to perform it in to a to perform
0: way. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. did you know responsible not responsible
1: for it exactly in this in this scenario? The clean cut would have been to say, well, operational autonomy means no political involvement anymore because otherwise it's not a full transfer, right? Now, I mean, this is, I mean, I'm sure a lot of contracting, author- or sorry, I should say public authorities, because we're not in the remit of the directive, would agree with me, right? Mm-hmm. Or would not, actually. So they, I'd like people to agree with me, but they would not because it would limit the, uh, the discretion to, to transfer competences um and still be involved right but from a lawyer's point of view this is difficult
0: yeah but would you say that um, would you see that um your answer or you'll be more inclined to accept some of those those um line of interpretation these provisions if there is a difference let's say um Cherokee, so if the transfer goes you know let's say from uh central units uh and it's trans so certain central government and it's transferred to local institutions? Would you accept more that you know that there is a certain need let's say of, of some element of control or then you would just say well then we're not within that then you need to look into in-house? Uh,
1: yeah, I think the latter. Um, yeah. Uh, in, a, in a way I mean okay so maybe this is uh, I'm, I'm being an annoying lawyer right now but mm. if you say it should be a full transfer and you need to have the obligation to perform it and there needs to be a transfer of of responsibilities that's like similar to the situation you had before where you owned the competence and the obligation to perform something or the responsibility I should say Um, I I mean maybe I'm too consistent and maybe too rigid or whatever but I I do think that's a, a it's very difficult to apply in practice like this. And I think everyone can agree on that. And I think that's also highlighted by the second point, or at least the, the second problem that I think uh, Rimondis raises is um, uh, financial autonomy, which is what the court then refers to, because that's the second aspect that's difficult. And you rightly stress that when you were quoting that article yeah. 1.6. Now, Rimondis was ruled before this article was introduced. Um, so, but, but yeah, I mean, there's clear links to it. Because basically, Article 1, Six says is it can't be remuneration for contractual performance. How does that relate to pecuniary interest? And then, basically, what the court does in Remondis is is then it says, well, uh, it kind of seems to imply that a genuine transfer does not materialize if the allocating authority uh, retains financial control over the entity that receives the competence, but then the court does say, if it's not performed properly, then um, it it might have to uh, step in because, (laughs) uh, you know, if, um, and I should say, if, uh, and the court says, logical, even necessary as a consequence, that the financial losses are compensated, right? So then if I reflect on the concept of pecuniary interest, a compensation of losses. I know a lot of construction companies in crisis times would love to get their uh, their losses compensated. Their hands or, on
0: this.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would love to run a company that, I mean, I would want to become an entrepreneur if I would get my losses compensated. Even me as a dusty academic, right? That's still podcast. <laughs> we're going, maybe we're yeah. not super dusty. Um, and the court then says, well, that type of financial involvement. So one, you can give those shares. You can give uh, like a... Kind of a dowry type of thing when you uh, pass on those competences, um, but you can also compensate them. And this is, I think, where it gets interesting: is, is that it's the court then says, well, this authority cannot be sued in insolvency proceedings. And um, in according to the court, normally that would follow from uh, the internal organisation of a member state is that these regions couldn't go bankrupt. So now these re- this region and the city would need to uphold the same standard w- with this rec for okay.
0: to, to the performance of, of the tasks.
1: Exactly. So yeah. all of a sudden that's yeah, brought in. So in, in a way, it's interesting because it's a safeguard for the internal organization of the member states. But again, I think it blurs the line. So fina- financial autonomy is the standpoint. You can give shares, you can give money, but you can also... Uh, uh, compensate for losses um, because that seems to be a logical consequence. Again, that makes a different, difficult balance because in a way, you could argue that is then pecuniary interest and it should have been an award of contract, right? Uh, That falls under the directive. So these two points, I think I've discussion points and in the last episode, we talked about issues. Maybe these are problems or like they're, they're similar. Yeah.
0: Definitely, but then, but then we have um, also this newer case, this Finnish case, that um, that brings um, a question of how does it relate really to remondes? Are we still talking about the same, or this is a simple uh, payment type, right? Um, so how how this Finnish case? How we compare it? How, what is the relationship um, between this new? Three two eight uh, dash nineteen finish case uh, in relations to Remondis.
1: Yeah, so I think <clears throat> so. It's um, it's a case that heavily relies on Remondis and appears to, or at least this is what the court makes it out to do. Is it have it appears to just apply the framework that Remondis set out, right? I'm not sure if that's the case, um, but I gladly welcome responses from anyone listening is because it's a very difficult case that heavily relies on the Finnish uh, uh, setup. Now, in the previous episode, we discussed the aspect of institutionalized cooperation that comes in. Now we're really discussing, I think, the first preliminary question that was posed to the court. So what happens here, and I'm I'm really summarizing, there, there's two agreements that are signed uh, one agreement for transport services, uh, some cities and municipalities are involved, under which uh, the city of Pori. And there's an agreement for health services between three cities or communes, as they're called. Again, the city of Pori is involved, right? So there's different actors involved in these agreements. And in, in these agreements, there's a transfer of responsibilities and competences to, as what Finnish law res- describes as, a responsible municipality. Uh, now, again, this is me translating because this case is not available in English as we run into before. I figured it out since then. Um, uh, is it, it It has something to do with the departure of the United Kingdom, is that there's a backlog in the translation department of the uh, Court of Justice. Um, so we should be getting these English episodes uh, or so episodes <laughs> too much in the podcast. These, these English...
0: Judgments, judgments judgment. at some point.
1: Uh, at some point, but for now, you'll have to do with my translations.
0: I hope uh, that is correct I hope that's correct
1: <laughs> uh, same goes for my translation of ancillary activity in start uh start cologne case um but uh so uh, under Finnish law, the Pori becomes the responsible municipality. And uh, there's this internal committee, which is supposed to, which is called an internal committee uh, safeguarding social uh, fundamental rights, right? um, and they actually uh, are in charge, and they then award a contract to a separate uh, entity uh, uh, that is controlled by the city. So a, this is step number two, and um, uh, that is a contract for um, transport of uh, handicapped uh, people. And uh, a competitor um, uh, argues against this and says, "Well, this is, I mean, generally said, it it challenged the the transfer of competences and also the uh, the, the award of contract in the second uh, instance." Now, if we only talk about the first issue, I think what's interesting here is that um, um, there was still a close involvement again by the the entities that previously held the transfer held the competences and responsibilities, there's this committee, which is approved by the Council of Pori with 18 representatives, in which like a couple of entities participate. They have to approve contracts, they can set tariffs, etc, etc. I think what's an interesting issue, and I think we'll leave it at that uh, in this case, is that, again, there's a, a reference to Article 4, Section 2 of the Treaty. Uh, And it says you can influence it, but it can't be an influence in the concrete operation of of a task, which is another Mm -hmm. uh, additional aspect. Addition to it. Yeah, another clarification of operational autonomy. But again, in terms of finances, what's interesting is the um, uh, entities that previously held these competences and responsibilities, they still pay per rata for the use of those transport services. So uh, just to remind you, there's been a transfer of competence of competences in step one. Uh, in step two, the city of Pori contracts uh, uh, an in-house entity. And then the uh, operations of that in-house entity are also paid by the entities that transferred those those competences. Um, based on how many citizens within their regions or cities use those services, right? So it's, this is, I think, an even clearer aspect of pecuniary interest than what happened in, term, in Rimondis when we talked about the uh, uh, simply a compensation for losses, right? Um, so uh, that's to add to that case. I would really. I'm not sure if I would recommend reading that case. I recommended it to you, and I think you hated me for it, Marta. Um, uh
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think that you know it's great to have a uh, to have the source of of knowledge of someone who really worked and sit and digested it. But I I I can at least for me. I find it extremely difficult to follow this case. Um, I think that it's really problematic um, in the complexity level. If you're not really, really aware of how those things work, to uh, to digest it. So I think For this sure. is our but added I totally value, agree right? With you.
1: No, I I don't know if it's. I, let's let's uh, let the listeners decide if whatever we have to say today is, is added value.
0: <laughs> well, I think for me, you know, for me as your co-host, to listen in to you explaining it and sort of breaking it down, it's helpful to understand it much better than actually reading through the case. I, the case is, it's it's very complex. So so I think that at least you underline, you know, for us, what is the relationship to Ramondi's and, and this question of whether we're dealing with the same thing or is it a different just. Uh,
1: payment type, right? But the, but then I have a, a, a confession to make is that I feel like I don't understand this case. fully <laughs> either. Uh, Then
0: we lost. <laughs>
1: and we're all lost. We're all lost when the ship is going down. No, what I mean is that I think what's very difficult here is that it's so closely related to the Finnish context. And that's, of course, what this article is trying to uh, allow for. And on top of that, what makes it difficult is it has these clear aspects of overlap with institutionalized cooperation and with the award of a public contract. And I think that makes it very difficult, particularly because the court seems to be willing to allow for very specific circumstances. Like in Raymond, yeah, we'll allow political control. You can still be involved financially. Um, and for those that are very interested in that financial involvement, I can also recommend reading the, the case of Commission Ireland, where there's a uh, a, a cooperation between the uh, Dublin City Council and the Eastern Regional Health Authority in which some financial author- uh, involvement was still allowed. Now, this was not a transfer of competences, but I think the court has kind of built upon these, that case to um, set up these, these Remondi's and, uh, and Borin Kopunki case. I, I always feel bad pronouncing this word, but uh, yeah, I think there's more to come on this uh, this aspect. And it's—I don't expect it to, to get easier, particularly with the intricacies that the court keeps adding to these cases. Um, but let's see um, if I can convince you to—if there's ever a future case to talk about this, uh, to talk about this again. So to wrap it up, and when, before we get to dessert, um, it, it, it's really a matter of comparing Article One Point uh, Six to the award of public contract. There's some. Uh, discussions, I think, or some clarity provided by the case law in Rimondis and this recent Finnish case, and it's really a matter of defining financial and operational autonomy, um, and going from there, and what actually fits in those aspects of that ultimately relate to Article Four, Section Two. Very
0: good. Um, so, what what we thought uh, was to discuss during our dessert time. So again, going back to a little bit lighter conversation, um, we, we tend to read a lot with our work, obviously. There's a certain expectation of us to digest a large amount of, of text. And you come across very different styles of work and um, you like some of the written work better than others. So we thought that we will introduce a concept to which we might come back in some future episodes. But is the 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 books that we wish we wrote? Um, so, Willem, I would I would throw it first at you. Um, what is something that stands out in your memory as a book uh, that you thought, ah, oh, this is really good? I wish I wish I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, um, I don't know if this obliges me to set to to mention one of your like like your edited volume or something. But <laughs> that aside, I wish I wrote all your work. For. Um, no, it's something outside of the con- context of public procurement, because I find those books, even though they can be very in- inspiring and, and, and that, but they're generally not um, groundbreaking, I, f- I, I find. And I hope I'm not offending anyone, but, but because you're so involved in it yourself, you get in- inspired. There's a- aspects that you think, ah, this is a totally way- different way of looking at it, but... Generally, I get the best ideas from books outside of uh, our, our normal scope. And for me, it's uh, Michael Sandel's book, uh, What Money Can't Buy, The Moral Limits of Markets. And I think it still relates to public procurement, obviously, and how we see markets and how we construct them, right? And I think why I find it so appealing to... Uh, our, I suppose his main argument is that we've drifted away from a market economy to a market society, and one of the examples that he gives is that like we can fast track we can fast track at the, at the airport right if you pay more you get to go through quicker right in the time where we used to fly still
0: yeah
1: or that you get better healthcare if you can afford a private gp to take care of your family right and those i think have very big Im- implications and it also makes me think about public procurement and how governments influence influence market structures in in public procurement so um in, in the last episode you you referred to um the, the circular economy, right? How we use public contracts to influence how public services ultimately are provided, I think also has a, a lasting effect on how we organize markets. Um and I think what's why it stands out is because this book like has an effect on how I look at normal life. So I can't mm. buy those fast track tickets or things but not consciously or without having a thought about it. So that, that would be my, uh, my go to.
0: So it's in a way giving a soul to the markets or heart to the markets, a bit of societal approach. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I think this is where we really always um, agreed on because that's our, st- our starting point to approach procurement is very similar, right? That we sort of see it a little bit broader, uh, particularly um, after the Lisbon Treaty. So, I approach this question uh, totally different, uh, to be honest. I actually, uh, I'm actually staying with a uh, procurement law.
1: Oh, uh, you went for EU public procurement law and self organization by. <laughs> yes,
0: government. but oh, they got the best book ever. <laughs> <laughs> <What a laughs> no, shame, I, 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 this is a really good book, don't, don't get me wrong, but um the, the <laughs> book that really, that really I wanted to mention today is a book also of a, of a, dear colleague and, and, and dear friend, Abby Sample, and she wrote a book, A Practical Guide to Public Procurement, that was published by Oxford in 2015. It was, I think, one of the first books on the new new regime. But the reason why I really like, I in general really enjoy Abby's writing. Um, why the book, I think, is really good. I think it's because it fills out a certain gap on the market I think majority of the time when you find books on procurement, they are, as you mentioned, they are quite complex because they are addressed to highly specialised crowds. Um, so uh, you, you, when you have the basis, you can really find the greedy, greedy um, issues. But I think what we were lacking on the market for Procurement Law was fairly straightforward book that someone, you know, that works with, let's say, contracting authority, a public authority can can read through and get a little bit more legal understanding, even if they don't have maybe legal background. And the same way, I find it actually quite helpful within teaching because I think that she has a great, she is she a great writer. She has a skill of writing fairly simply In a simple language, I think that it's also something probably to do that, you know, she's a native speaker. And I always find that native speaker has this easiness in their writing. But for me, yeah, when for me, it always feels, you know, that you bleed and sweat (laughs) through the writing. Um, So so I really like that book from that perspective. And also besides that, she uses uh, tons and tons of practical examples, which which helps out, I think, when you read and, and you want to see, okay, but how this theory, how these concepts go to to um, practice. I don't think that, you know, for someone who, who again, is, is uh, quite advanced, knows for a bit on procurement, that you're going to find uh, a lot of new things there in itself. But I think for this entry point, um, really, really great book. And I wish I could write like Abby with this Likeness and simplicity. So
1: great book. Good, uh, good, good recommendation. I mean, it's, it's uh, I think also something that uh, maybe we'll be exploring next year is to see how we can also fill that gap of students starting classes, right? And that they're swamped with no, well, a starting point of no knowledge about public procurement law and then they need to start and they're swamped with a field of law that they never imagined was so uh interesting epic and all those type of things but also so broad in scope right so
0: yeah and and, you uh, know i always go back to my own personal experience the very first time i don't mean like within my master's studies but later on when i um when i started my phd the very first book that i was given on procurement to really dive into was to aro book you know the blue bible The book that we all, I think, love to come back these days when you really know things because you find a real depth of all these different intrinsicities. But the very first time when I look at it, I thought that I will cry because I didn't know, you know, where to start, how to get an overview, and so on. So, different books, I think, for different purposes, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. No so um read if you haven't read them um go check out these two books i think they're also recommendations right
0: for sure so let's,
1: let's keep let's wrap back, it up uh, to, to this that. Uh, to this section and uh let's wrap it up um uh, I think we'll stay away from in-house for a little bit, just give you a breather and then we'll come back to it once you've recovered. So you will see, uh, the, the listeners will figure out once that moment has occurred and I can slip something in again. Uh, but uh, thanks for listening again. This was Besteck, the public procurement podcast.
0: This was Besteck, the public procurement podcast. Do you want to contribute to today's discussion? and share your thoughts on LinkedIn or Twitter. Do you have an idea for a future episode? Write to us at www.stackpodcast.com.